Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best, straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our duty. Arganissima, New York. Welcome back, everyone, to the iHealth channel, the Fit and Fab channel, iHealth Radio with Hurricane Age. New day, new show, new topic. And today, we will be focusing on a topic I think that affects everyone around us, sometimes even ourselves. And, uh, you know, if you're listening today or watching, you're probably going to relate to this somehow, somewhere. And the topic is nothing else than the chronic pain, which a lot of folks live with, unfortunately. And they might not have to. <laughs> and today we're going to find out what ways we can do to help people maybe live a better life, healthier life, and easier life with our special guest. And uh, our special guest today is Dr. Mitchell Yas. He's a doctor in physical therapy, but he developed his own method. And we're going to talk about the Yas method today, and which is deep, and we're going to understand it. But before we go into all that, first things first, doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us and for accepting the invitation and certainly for sharing with us your insights today. So first thing, I'd like to ask you to give us a little bit of introduction about yourself, your background, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. So my path as to where I've come to where I am today actually starts as a child. I was the classic 99-pound weakling, had sand kicked in my face, bad self-esteem issues, and um, I decided that I was going to learn how to make muscle, how to grow muscle, how to weightlift. And where the average person, I'm not saying in the initial portion, I didn't do this. I go to the Joe Weider magazines, the muscle training illustrated and all that stuff. But for some reason, partly because my metabolism is very fast at the time, I wasn't able to put muscle mass on. So eventually I literally took a high school physics course and started applying physics laws to weightlifting, understanding force vectors, lever arms, all the aspects, potential energy, kinetic energy, all the things that allow you to understand how to push the optimal amount of force against the resistance that you're trying to push against. And over a four year period, I put 40 pounds of muscle on. I go from 160 pounds to 200 pounds in four years. At the time, my occupation, I was a project manager in construction, and I just found that it wasn't fulfilling to me, so I decided to leave that, and I find out about this thing called physical therapy, and the good news was that you get to work on people's bodies, but it doesn't require the same medical schooling as a physician, so that's what I decided to do. So in the first couple of years, you're just learning a lot of theory, and it's all book aspects, and finally, at the end of it, now you're going to do your affiliations. And now you're going to actually have someone in front of you and they're going to say, I'm in pain or I've got this or whatever, and you're going to have to treat them. Now, we were taught that 
to understand what's causing someone's pain, they're going to get an MRI and it's going to find in the back a herniated disc or stenosis or a pinched nerve. Everybody who's been in pain, who's gotten an MRI, you've heard these concepts. Uh, in the knee, it might be a meniscal tear or arthritis, maybe a rotator cuff tear in the shoulder. And once that's identified, your job is to treat that. Well, for some crazy, crazy reason, the very first time I start treating people, it just dawns upon me. And I don't even know what made me think of it to say, can you just show me where your pain is? Just point to where your pain is. And the most remarkable thing presents itself. Where the person is experiencing their pain is not where it should be. If the structural variation identified were to create pain. Well, if where they're having the pain isn't where it should be, then the structural variation can't be said to be the tissue in distress creating the pain they're experiencing. And I'm figuring this out in my final affiliation as I'm about to graduate. And so you kind of have this moral quandary. What the hell am I supposed to do? Do I treat based on what I was educated to treat? Or do I try to go on and try to figure out what it is that's causing this pain that people are experiencing? And I, I went to school. I went back to school at 30 years old. So I was 32 when I graduated. I had a lot of life experience. And I, to be very honest, I was passionate. If I was going to take this career on and I was going to work on people's bodies, I knew I wanted to have everything I could to know what to do. So I said, I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to try to understand. They're going to point to where their pain is. They're going to tell me what brings on their pain. They're going to tell me about everything relating to it. And then I'm going to try to do some tests. And lo and behold, I figure out that in more than 98% of cases, the tissue eliciting people's pain is muscle. It's muscle. Now, what you want to understand is muscular causes and I'll go through all the potential types of muscular causes, don't show up on MRIs. Mm -hmm. So imagine, I give you an example, you have pain in your upper trap region. I press where your pain is, and you say, yes, that's it. Well, that's a muscle. You strain the muscle. Can that show up on a cervical MRI? The answer is no. What will show up? Well, a herniated disc or stenosis or a pinched nerve. The question is, because it shows up, does that mean it's the cause of your pain? Well, I'll go into all the scientific, clinical, and theoretical basis to show you, no, it does not. It simply means that's an independent variable that happens to exist, but it's not causing your pain. Therefore, it doesn't require treatment. And yet, if you go through the medical system, what do you think they do? They find the structural variation, and that is what gets treated. So that levator scapular strain, that muscle strain just remains. And as a result, if you continue to use your arm and that muscle continues to strain, it continues to elicit pain, ergo chronic pain. So that is the basis, the history of how I came to this. And now we're 28 years, almost three decades into it. Uh -huh. Doctor, that is impressive. I mean, I'm, I'm just listening. The, the passion, first of all, like just you love this stuff. I can hear it. I think oh, everybody, God, yeah. it's projecting big time. I mean, I, I, I can't even say anything about that. And, and you know, your story is also incredible because you started from a point of it's a personal thing. 
and and you did the best you could for yourself and then that stuck with you and you went sure. a fulfilling career hopefully it was but it wasn't and then you decided to go to something that you can help people with yep throughout that that process you determined that maybe there's a, there's something wrong in this process because one thing is what we learn and by the way that's true for a lot of things we learn a lot of things and they, they don't usually apply in real life there's more to it sure but, I mean, there's credit to MRIs, there's credit to what it does and, and shows some some problems that could be, you know, again, hernia, this can happen and that's a different, but you're right, is that what's causing the, you can do a chiropractic, you can do some physical therapy, you can align these things, but eventually, that's not necessarily to your point, that pain, you know, management piece, because that there's more to this. Now you discover that it's a little more and we're going to talk about those. So, so basically, ultimately, the Chronic pain here is a pain that is constant, that is not going away, and you're living with that that every day. You wake up, it's there. You, you go to work, it's there. You sleep, it's there. And you take pills to, to numb it, but it's not good for you. Your liver now is exposed, right? So so today, I'd love for you to break down, first of all, the different types you know, of chronic pains that the body can have. Uh, if there are multiples, I mean, I mean, as a concept is one concept, but I mean, there's different ways you can feel different places you can feel it. And also like, you know, the, the, the science behind it. And, you know, maybe the other thing I want to ask, and we'll get to it later is the, um, how you are perceived because you are almost challenging the, the dynamic because your, your views are, are a little bit different from other, maybe physical therapists. And some people may swear with the MRI that's exactly, and you have your own unique way. It's all good. At the end of the day, you have a method, you've done it for over 20 years and it's working, it's been going on, it's happening and you've solved the problem for a lot of people. And at the end of the day, I've, again, you and I, we had a quick discussion about different ways that people seek pain management. Uh, I've seen people like opioid and then people get, you know, uh, uh, now it's the CBD treatments and all this right. stuff. There's yoga, there's all kinds of these hypnosis. There's so many things. As a matter of fact, I have a show next week and we're going to talk about pain management through hypnosis and other ways. And I've seen actually, you know, some sessions of some of these things, you know, in front of my eyes. And not only that, I, I do work with seniors, you know, in, in insurance world and in a lot of events, they do pain management sessions, they do like education about them and the different angles. But really, it's, it's amazing what's available to us today. You are a resource. And, yeah. you know. Maybe some people know about you. Maybe people not know about you. Today, we want to make sure that they know about you and your services. And now, first question, just just uh, as as a uh, a base, are you located? Where are you located exactly? In Jacksonville, Florida, in the nice. United States. Oh yeah, yeah. good weather. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> nice, very nice. You get you get both. You cross over. You're in Georgia. You're down. You're like you're nice, nice, nice. Exactly. Well, well, uh, you know, so that's good. And you do this local and you can help people all over, I'm assuming. And usually I ask yes. at the end, but, you know, since we're talking about it, I just wanted to just get out of the system. <laughs> yeah, the vast majority of what I do is actually through Zoom session. So I've written three books. <clears throat> Two books are, um, are published by Hay House, the second largest publisher in the world. The books are published here, Canada, England, Australia, India, and South Africa. So once my first book from Payhouse came out, which was in 2015, I started getting contacted from people from around the world. And as a result of that, I knew people weren't going to want to fly to Jacksonville, Florida. So before there was Zoom, there was Skype, and it was really at its inception. I was doing teleconferencing sessions five to six years ago. And so I've been doing that for a very long time. And as far as I'm concerned, I feel like I perfected it. And people have to understand that the diagnosis 
can be achieved virtually because as I'll explain, if you have a muscular cause, muscles are also responsible for posture. They're also responsible for movement patterns. So if you have a specific muscle creating pain, I'm also going to find a cor correlating altered posture and movement pattern. And through that understanding, it allows me to understand that it's muscle and which muscles. And then I just show you how to strengthen the appropriate muscle. So this has been going on for years. This is not new to me. I've been doing it for five, six years at least. Awesome. And you, you were ahead of the curve because I mean, Zoom only took off, you know, more. I mean, I, I've, I've used Zoom before and Skype before, but really the the era of Zoom, you know, Asher, you know, with, with uh, COVID and, 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 and the pandemic primarily, right? Yeah, absolutely. But, and even telehealth was always there, but a lot of people didn't use telehealth. Well, hesitant, as, right. Yeah. Now exactly. it's more, you know, popular, common. I think it changed the way medicine and, and, and treatment can be done, you know. so Absolutely. Awesome. Well, listen, you were earlier you know on the whole concept and you were ahead of the game then and you're still ahead of the game and that's great and you know and that's really what we want the audiences to hear to get that feeling that you know you know your stuff and you can help people and you've helped people around the world so and by the way our show is broadcasted all over the world so people that's great download, they download this all over the world they can watch it anywhere so uh technically we have audiences in the world <laughs> that's great i so, love it so so it's and the reason i asked this question is because if you're only confined to one location we're limited to who is going to be available you know uh to to the services and and to you but but now we good <laughs> oh yeah absolutely i've gone as far as taiwan i treated a guy in taiwan a couple of months ago so this nice. goes pretty far. <laughs> well, well, so doctor, here's the thing, and and we're gonna break down the the pain management. So pain management, there is no age. I think I don't think I don't think there is a, a you know, a chronic pain in general. It's everybody. I mean, you can correct. Kid, That's right. It can be you know older. Obviously, it gets worse with age and other type of you know problems, and they do impact it. Uh, sports is a big deal, and fitness and all these folks, they usually are prone to to having some problem. Uh, I mean, I've been in martial arts, so I know about it. And sometimes you you deal with some of it, and it's it's difficult, right? Um, and and the other thing is, it's there is no limitations to when you think that you got it, like nothing's going to happen to you. I don't think that's the case because anyone at any given time can you know start a problem in their body, and that pain stays with them. Absolutely. So 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 that being said, let's break down the concept. You know, how does it work? Uh, right. What does it affect and, and the different types that, that, that may be out there? And then scientifically, if you you can, I'm sure you can. And then, then we can break down like the solutions, the method, sure. how we can treat it all. Sure. So first off, let's just hit the idea. You, you mentioned pain management several times. Yes. People should be afraid of the concept of pain management. I want you have to really wrap your head around this idea. Pain is not representative of chronic illness. If you have cirrhosis of the liver, that is a tissue that is deteriorating and you have to deal with that. If you have stenosis of the mitral valve, that valve is slowly progressively shrinking and you have to deal with that. Chronic pain simply represents the fact that a tissue is in distress eliciting the pain you're experiencing but you haven't identified that tissue, which is why it continues to elicit the pain. So when someone reaches the point of saying, I'm willing to accept some form of pain management, what they're saying is they're willing to use some technique to manage the fact 
that the pain continues to be elicited because of the fact you haven't identified the tissue. So if you suppress your awareness of pain, how does that help you identify the tissue in distress and resolve that distress? You, you understand that it's eliciting pain because it's not functioning properly. I love and it. it's trying to say to you, help me. I need help. I'm not functioning properly. I need help to make me function properly. And if you never seek that tissue and identify it, you think it's just going to magically get better on its own? What if it's your heart? What if the pain that you're having is coming from your heart? You think the answer is pain management? Just don't, don't experience the pain. Guess what? You're dead. You had a heart attack. So <laughs> let's make sure we understand pain management is in existence for one reason. And that is because the medical establishment's mechanism of diagnosing the tissue in distress fails so extensively that they have come to the point of having to say, we kind of give up. We really can't identify that tissue. So at best, all we could do is try to help you manage your pain. So let's be very clear. Pain management wasn't an answer. Wasn't an answer. It was a cop-out. It was a default position because the medical establishment cannot. Uh, if I could identify the tissue today and resolve the distress of it, your pain would be gone today. Why would I need pain management? So let's be very clear. Pain management is a default position to a failed system. Doc, I, I, really, I, I really love this, this interaction here because you're right. I mean, pain is a, a, an alert. Your body That's is all. You, there is a problem. And, and by the way, same thing as fever. You get fever, that means something's wrong. So it's like, wake up, hello, do something, right? Correct. And, and you're right. Now, the pain is there. You live with it. Some is manageable, some is not. But you're right. The cause of the pain is really what needs to be treated. Right. And, and so, but you're right. The, the reason we refer to the word pain management is because sometimes to your point is like, well, I mean, especially in, in some situation with uh, cancer and, you know, maybe late stage, you know, you know, disease type of things. And, you know, people are really not going to, there's no, so, there's no resolution to the problem. Correct. Therefore, That's right. We just kind of ease them out through, through that process of pain management. That's and, right. And, 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 and you see that a lot of, uh, you know, end of uh, live type of situations and uh, correct hospice care and, and, and even in some other, you know, uh, I guess people with MS, there's no question right. that yeah. there's systemic disease that warrants it, mm -hmm. but, what about neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, hip pain, ankle pain? What the <laughs> hell is that? Where, where's where's that considered a chronic disease, chronic illness? And I, well, coming from you as as a PT, I mean, you know, specialist, you know that. I mean, those are the things, and and muscles and stuff. You're right; those are not you know terminal. They're just there, and 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 we cause the pain for them somehow by tearing a muscle, by correct, you know, doing something wrong, and we all do. We lift right. something wrong. We sit wrong. We sleep wrong. Now we have, a, I, I, somehow I started like always referring to phones, but really you see this, this, this movement here. Right. Neck is always in pain. Right. Uh, so, so now let's talk about, I love the way you define that and clear that because I think now everybody's clear. If you listen to this show, you know, the difference pain management is a, is almost like a patch to get you. It's like, you know, a little Correct. drug to just numb the pain for a minute. And, and same thing, like when you, and it's funny because when we take like uh, Tylenol, Advil, any of those, those, uh, you know, uh, NSH, right. You know, yeah. They, they kind of like suppress that pain. Basically all they do when they send a message, there's nothing, but the pain, the problem didn't get away. It's still there. It's just that your brain says, okay, I don't have a communication. I'm good. Correct. <laughs> the pain signal is still being elicited. Everyone has to understand 
the pain receptor, wherever that tissue is in distress, is still firing pain signals to the brain. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatories act as sedatives. So it makes the path, the aspect of the brain that experiences pain and kind of, kind of almost freezes it or softens it. So you don't really experience the signal, but the signal's still going off and that tissue still is in distress. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that was a great point, you know, for at least the first, you know, establishment here that we clear, you know, that fact, whatever you want. Now let's talk about the, you know, solution. Yeah. How do we do this? Yeah. So, so first let's get to this. That, so you hit on something and I guess, let me just at this point, go for it. Everybody always says, Oh, if I do something wrong, if I hold my phone like this, if I sit too long, if I stand too long, let, let's end the premise that any particular activity, any particular task, any particular posture is bad. There's no such thing. Now, people oftentimes say, oh, I have, carpal, I have couple tunnel syndrome or I have tennis elbow because I have an overuse syndrome, an overuse syndrome. Let's be very clear. Typing, playing tennis, sitting at your computer, is there a set force requirement to do that? The most there is that gravity is pushing down on you and you have to push against gravity. That's what your muscles are doing. So if you do computer, every time you do computer, it's the same force requirement. Every time you play tennis, it's the same force requirement. Every time you sit in a chair, it's the same force requirement. The force requirement isn't changing. What's changing is the amount of strength you have available to push against the force requirement to allow you to do the activity without pain. So let's all end the premise that activity is bad because it creates pain, that there's overuse. It's all nonsense. What you want to describe it as is under strength. Mm. You can't sit because you haven't strengthened the, opposing, the appropriate muscles to allow you to sit. You can't hold your phone because you haven't strengthened the opposing mu the appropriate muscles to do it. You can't watch TV or be on your computer or stand or twist or bend because you haven't strengthened the muscles to do it. So the difference between those two premises, and I'm going to show you, you play tennis and you have pain at your shoulder and you go to the doctor and you say, Doc, I have ten pain when I play tennis. You know what he's going to tell you? Oh, Don't play tennis. <laughs> but... You see, what he neglects to understand is that you just worked 50 years of your life so that you could retire and play tennis seven days a week. And when he says that, it's like putting a bullet in your head. Is that fair? You think that's right? You think everyone should? Uh, that's, that, that's an acceptable mindset? That's bullshit. That's crap. It's not that he can't play tennis. It's that he's not conditioned to play tennis. So if he comes to me and says that to me, I say, listen, my friend, I'm going to do an evaluation. I'm going to establish which muscles are weak. We're going to strengthen the appropriate muscles. And probably in four to six weeks with aggressive strength training, you're going to be playing tennis as much as you want to play tennis. And if you want to play more tennis, we strengthen you even more. And if you want to climb Mount Everest, I strengthen you for that. So the mindset of the population has become to think that anything that hurts me, I should stop doing. It's just the opposite. 
You do everything you want to do. Just condition yourself. And that is what makes my mindset completely different. You're not going to hear anyone saying this. Everybody's going to tell you, oh, you have back pain when you, have, when you um, sit too long. Oh, get an ergonomic uh, desk. Oh, get a lumbar chair. Oh, get three pillows. Oh, get a, a brace for your neck. Oh, get a brace. It's all nonsense. There is a force requirement for the activity. And there is a force output of your muscles required to do the activity. If the force output of the muscles is greater than the force requirement, you do anything you want. So I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your lifestyle is like. You only have to know what you want to do and understand which muscles do it, strengthen the appropriate muscles, and you have the life you choose. That's very different from anything you're going to hear anywhere else. And it is, and I, I'm almost sure that folks that are watching right now are listening, they'll be like, hmm, damn. <laughs> that makes really, sense. I, I, makes I, sense. I, listen, well, you know, uh, you know, the cause of a give it, kiss, keep it simple, stupid, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really the same here. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that, but you're right. I mean, sometimes we don't look at it that way. And depending on who you seek the, the assistance from, you know, you get different angles, right? It depends on the expertise of that person. Sure. But but you have to what I want. Another thing people want to say, chronic pain is a sociological phenomenon. Well, let's go through some other aspects of this. And this will help people understand this. Chronic pain never existed in the history of mankind prior to the late 1980s, early 1990s. Nobody understands this. It never existed. There was never chronic pain. Go back to the Greeks, the Romans. Chronic pain has never been identified in medical history. OK, so prior to that. Who were the people who typically talked about pain? It was retired people. It was older people, and they retired. And they used to call it rheumatism. My rheumatism's acting up. My rheumatism's acting up, right? So the premise was that once they retired, they did less activity. And as a result of that, they were more susceptible to straining when they tried to do activity. So that's why it was that group. Now we get to the late 1980s, early 1990s. What happens? Industri that's correct. The computer was 99.9% industrial based. By the late 1980s, it's now completely the opposite. It is almost exclusively personal. We have not just the use of the computer, but the occupations. Associated. What's the largest occupation in the world today? IT, not even close, right? So now you have a job where people are on the computer 10 to 12 hours a day trying to create code and all the other stuff, everything associated with the computer. We have the laptop. We have the cell phone. I could give you like really obvious kinds of things. So when you wanted to get money out of the bank, I, I don't know if you're old enough, but I'm surely old enough. I would walk into the bank and there was a person called the teller and I would hand them a withdrawal slip and they would count money and they would hand it back to me or take a deposit. Well, that person had to sit there and do active stuff, manual stuff. How is it done now? Through an ATM, right? Well, through apps, you don't even have to do anything. You get apps now and you just cash cards. You just tap your card. <laughs> right, exactly. Even that, look, at, look how they're even making something like that, right? So it, how about this? How about the fact if I wanted to change the television channel, I used to have to get up, walk over to the TV and turn the dial. Now, not only do they have remotes, but they have voice activated remotes. So I could change the, the channel just by my voice. I don't even have to use my thumb anymore. And so what you see is that people, all people, not just the elderly, all ages, 
becoming more and more sedentary, making them more and more susceptible to having pain because their muscles are straining. So now I've treated people who are 20 years old who tell me it feels like I have a bobblehead. I cannot support the weight of my head. A college student says my neck muscles have become so weak, I can't support the weight of my head. 20 years old, right? So chronic pain becomes this epidemic initially because of the fact that the age population suffering from, from pain expands massively from the 60s and up all the way down to now the 20s. So that creates the population. Part of technology was the development of the MRI. The MRI is set to find the cause of pain. By the way, I guarantee you, great trivia question. Who knows what the cause, what was the reason the MRI was created? It wasn't for that. That was not its intention. Its intention was to identify tumors in the brain. The MRI was developed to identify tumors in the brain. That's what it's designed for. Somehow, and I can show you now, try to go back and find the answer. Somehow, magically, it's now shifted to have a secondary purpose as identifying the cause of pain. And I, there were no studies done. It simply happened. Well, it starts to identify these structural variations wherever the pain is. Herniated distance, all right? Well, what if those aren't the cause? What if they are muscular cords? Well, I just said, muscular cords don't show up. So you now are treating the wrong tissue, the tissue that's not in distress. You're just treating an arbitrary tissue that happened to be identified. So what happens to the tissue in distress? It remains in distress and remains eliciting pain. So you have the false acute cause that remains the false acute cause over time that's what leads to chronic pain. So acute pain is the misdiagnosis coming from the MRI saying that it's a structural variation when it's muscular. Acute pain is what I say. Uh, chronic pain is misdiagnosis. It's the fact that it continues on and it's never changed. So as a result of that, that muscular cause remains. If you understand that premise, then you could, it's, it should then begin to understand why is there a global chronic pain epidemic Epidemic of people from the 20s to the 90s? I just described the entire concept to you. Well, doctor, I think, I think there's, there's more than that. I think that, that's, that's getting even younger these days because even kids now, they, they, there's no activity. When we were kids, you know, you put well, it outside. There you go. Right. Now they're, they're just stuck in a room in front of, again, in the computer, in the same position, everything, you know, and they just gain weight. And, and there's, the, there's, there's the answer to, to childhood obesity. Everyone keeps talking about McDonald's. It's not the McDonald's. It's the fact that kids don't move. And, and you know how you know that's true? Because the NFL started that, that, that promotion of that um, start 60 or play 60 promotion that they did, which is, I mean, I, I find this insane. They're promoting to children to run around for 60 minutes a day. When I was a kid and you got home from school, you didn't stop running until your mother called you in for dinner. And then you went out after dinner. I mean, you ran for eight hours a day, six, eight hours a day on the weekend constantly. It's so bad that they're just trying to promote for a kid to run 60 minutes a day. It's well, insanity. Well, because uh, unfortunately, that's that's where we are today. I mean, kids don't don't leave the home. They don't want sure. to leave the home. They don't right. go out. They don't even. Well, I, as I can say, my, my, my you know my own experience. I have you know a teenage kid, and he doesn't want to go anywhere. Right. You know, we leave. You know, he's with grandma. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He's playing. That's it. Um, and and you know, 
one thing that you mentioned, uh, and it's important, I think, to highlight, you know, and I want to just reemphasize this. You're right yeah. about the 80s and 70s, well, the 80s and 90s and stuff and the age groups, because in the past, the jobs were more physical. Mm-hmm. Historically, people worked; they were active. You don't you don't sit behind something. You actually work physically, manually somewhere, and so your body is always mus- you know muscular. It's it's you're building mass. You're building you know your your yep. body's you know strength and core strength. You know, now, if if you grew up and you're like a techie or whatever, you you don't have you don't go to gym. You know, there's no mass. I mean, there there is a muscle, but it's not you know toned up. It's not. And by the way. Your story actually relates to that because when you were younger, and by the way, I love the way you, your energy is about the physics of it and, and the force. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You've done all that study, you know, in, in advance, you know, to all this, and you learned about the physics concepts and stuff, but that's real gravity forces. Oh, absolutely. Stuff is, is, is the real thing. So that, that's almost, you know, a big deal to, 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 to highlight today because people uh, don't see it that way. And yes. if, if you're working out every day, uh, you know, you tend to have better core, core muscle and core, core strength and everything. You can do more in physical activities. You have, you might have temporary pain just because the muscle is, you know, recuperating, but it goes away. You're like, wow. And actually that's true. When you, you work out less, you tend to have more pain. You walk, everything hurts. You work out more, you feel like strength and you are like, you know, really like in shape. And that's what we say. You're in shape. Yeah, <laughs> that, absolutely. That's, really, that's, that's a real, I mean, fact, I mean, I've experienced it when I don't work out, everything hurts. When I do right. work out, things are better. <laughs> right. And, and, and so one of the points you were making, which is, is critical to understand, is that muscles not used lose their force capacity and their mass. The idea of if you don't use it, you lose it. So when people had physical jobs up to the late 1980s, they were using their muscles. And so it was sustaining the strength. Even people who work out, if you then don't apply that strength in activity, you will lose muscle. If you want to see it again, I can show you a theoretical premise. What is the greatest fear of every astronaut that goes to the International Space Station? These are guys who are elite. These guys are in elite shape. Everyone who goes up there, the greatest fear, the thing they're most fearful about is the amount of muscle mass they lose. Why? What don't you have at the International Space Station? Gravity. Gravity. <laughs> I, it's true. And, I, and a lot of them, they come down and they have to do some exercise and rebuild you know, they, and that's they come up, you know, much lighter than when they go up. Yeah, I mean, they they, de- they develop squat machines and treadmills. I've seen it where they have straps attached to them, and it's they're trying, but without gravity, you you don't have a force that you have to push against, so it becomes very hard to create weight because the weights would just float, right? Because it's not against gravity's not pushing it down to the core of the earth, and so these are critical things for people to understand. If you don't want to have pain generalized, let alone chronic, and you reckon, and, and so here's another key point. So people often say, so, you know, oh, you're saying that this is, uh, this is muscular. It's not structural. How do you know that? They found the herniated disc. Okay, well, think of this. If it was a structural problem, wouldn't you assume that your pain should be somewhat consistent and somewhat throughout all the time that you're, existing because it's structural the the torn disc or the broken disc or whatever they're talking about or the arthritis it exists so you would assume that your pain should be somewhat concept somewhat constant and somewhat balanced in the intensity it should basically stay about the same 
Well, how come most people say that their pain begins or is initiated or exacerbated when they do activity? And then when they rest, the pain reduces. Well, well I don't understand. If, are you saying that when I'm walking and I have knee pain, I have arthritis, but as soon as I sit down and I don't have pain, the arthritis disappeared? It disappeared? Is that what you're saying? I don't know what that means. Oh, I have pain if I stand and I have stenosis. But when I sit down, I unstenose. I don't have the narrow ring of the spine in it. Wow. You see, these are the types of things that when you're evaluating an individual and you ask them questions about their symptoms, you can then start to make conclusions. If you're going to the medical assistant system, let's face it, no one can deny this. Your diagnosis is blankly decided by the MRI finding, period, end of story. Nobody asks you about your symptoms. No one says, where's your pain? No one says, what brings your pain on and makes it worse? And yet, every bit of that is critical to understand what the tissue is that's eliciting the symptom. Because if it's muscle, you're going to assume that if you do things that require muscle, it's going to cause pain. And when you rush your muscles, it's not going to cause pain. And you'll see, you listen to your audience and you'll find out almost every one of them will be able to attribute their pain, the initiation or the exacerbation of it by doing activity. And then when they rest, it, 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 it diminishes. That is a red flag that causes muscular. Well, it shouldn't. I mean, ultimately, if you have a problem, the problem is there. It's not going anywhere. And, and uh, right. that, that, that's, that's really the bottom line to it. And, and so contradict, it's a contradiction to think that it's gone just because you sat down and it just disappeared. If your disc is twisted, <laughs> unless you fix it or do surgery, it's not going to be fixed. So, right. But, so but, what we're, but we're, what we're always, everyone has to stop and understand the premise that the reason, and this, this is where this goes all the way, by the way, this is what Hippocrates said. Hippocrates, the father of medicine, created the words diagnosis and symptoms. He created this. He's the one who, I'm just following what's been around for a thousand years. You have to understand when you're experiencing that pain, that pain is coming from a very specific tissue. Let me put it this way. If you have ankle pain, do you think you're having a heart attack? No. But if you have pain at your chest and your left arm, you think you're having a heart attack? You're damn right you do, because that is the symptom that is associated with this function of the heart, right? The tissue in distress is the heart. It creates that symptom. Your entire side of your body goes dead. Do you think you have an ankle sprain? You think you strained your muscle? You think you have a kidney stone? No, you think you're having a stroke. Why? Because that's the symptom that's associated with the stress of the brain. So- you already have people kind of going into the direction of saying, wow, there, there's a connection. A particular tissue creates a particular symptom. And that had been around in the medical system until the advent of the MRI. That is a organizational change. The medical establishment went away from trying to connect the cause and the symptoms to simply whatever structural variations identified, that's what we're going to believe. But, but doctor, so some, someone can, you know, ask the question, but why, what's special about the MRI? Why was the MRI the key solution and, and the default? That, that's the great question. That's the question <laughs> that needs to be asked. That's the question that has, let's put this in perspective. 130 million Americans, one out of every three, 
A billion people worldwide, one out of every seven people suffer from chronic pain. Globally, every person in every country I've ever talked to, their diagnosis has been derived by the MRI. So the, the, the problem is, is that you're just a person in pain. So you just understand that you're this individual and you want to get out of pain. You don't understand that you're part of a systemic disease that's called the medical establishment and the use of the MRI. If people hear things, that's why I'm doing these podcasts. If people suddenly recognize that they're not one, but one of a billion people worldwide, maybe they'll say, maybe we all have to get together and ask the question, why? Why would one out of every seven people be suffering from chronic pain when the same exact mechanism to identify the diagnosis, the cause, has been used? It hasn't varied. You can't say, oh, well, maybe it's that everybody's not using the same system. And, and so we have one that's really working and the rest of it. It's the same system. Everybody globally gets diagnosed by the MRI. Well, well so, Doc, there's, there's, there's a thing. I'm in the insurance world and I know. Yeah. One, one, one of the, the services we don't like <laughs> is MRI because, you know, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> right. And, and so so there, there may be an answer to it. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. It's, it makes money. <laughs> it's well, it that right now I'll, I'll show you, you, you. You've now hit on the ultimate concept. So. Would anyone acknowledge that the medical system over the last 40 years has been very successful in addressing pain? Is anyone in their psychotic mind ever going to say that? Clearly not. They have failed miserably. Do you understand the number of people who have killed themselves? The suicide rate has skyrocketed and everyone wonders why? It's because the number of people who are suffering with pain at such a high level have decided they can't live another day on this earth like that. They kill themselves. I have treated hundreds of people who came to me who literally said, standing right in front of my face, I am putting a bullet in my head tomorrow if you don't end this pain. I cannot live another day like this. I can't even get out of bed, let alone function, and I don't want to be here anymore. So suicide rates are up. Depression rates are up. The opioid epidemic. What do you think that came from? You think that that was a bunch of 18-year-old kids who were trying to find an alter alter alternative form of heroin? That's crazy. If that was true, when would opioids have been created? The 1960s when heroin was used at its highest by the teenagers, right? No, you needed a much bigger demand. You needed something bigger. All those people being misdiagnosed and mistreated, now you have a population that warrants these companies to develop these opioids, right? The opioidemic, opioidemic is a direct result of the chronic pain epidemic, irrefutable. It came right after it. Right. It is still a, it's a big deal. And, and it still is. Yeah. And so fact, is the, and so is the marijuana issue. Well, right? yeah. same and, thing. And by the way, some people can say the CV and marijuana right now is the ultimate, you know, solution for the opioid, you know, just to compensate a little bit. It's less, I guess, aggressive and, you know, it's right. more natural. And that's that's still a debate. And even federal government, for example, in the U.S., have not approved, you know, uh, the use of marijuana as as a uh, yeah a medicinal piece, you know, in in, in their uh, laws and regulations. So that's that's already pending, and only states have determined that. And and again, it is it does treat a little bit of the pain, but again, it it camouflages the pain. I'd say. That's just masking. That's exactly. right. So so so, but that's that's the key. But now there's other people. And by the way, thank you for sharing some of the statistics because. Just listening to them, 
I mean, suicide rate is 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 really oh. is high across everything. Scary. And, and 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 you're right. When pain is is at its top and and and, and high you you can't handle it sometimes it's just like you want to stop the pain and no, and that's why people numb themselves with things but you're right some people can go just like the extreme way and say i'm done and that is that is sad and it shouldn't happen and hopefully we'll we'll bring messages to people over and over that your life is valuable we want you to live a happy life and a healthier life and joyful life and there are ways and some people seek holistic stuff and and uh, spiritual stuff and different meditation uh, but there are medical opportunities in in your case you have your own method so let's let's break that method down like sure how how do you you know i mean i know you you've re referred a little bit to to the the, the way you diagnose the way you serve yeah. people but let's break down your process and your uniqueness your signature yeah so let's say someone's having lower back pain mm. and they find out about me and they're going to do a zoom session with me so the first thing we want to do is try to understand what the tissue is creating that. So the very first question I'm going to ask them is stand up and point to where your pain is. Now, they might have pain very centralized to the spine or they might have it a little off to the side. Well, if you kind of get a chance to look at this, you'll see there's muscles that attach to all five lumbar spine and then you have muscles that sit off. This is your lower back muscles. This is the psoas muscle. So there are specific muscles now. So they'll probably tell me, well, I have an MRI and um, I have an L4 nerve root impingement, right? What you need to understand about these nerve roots that come out of the spine, every one of them innervates a certain area of skin. They're called dermatomes. The L4-5 nerve root innervates the inner shin. It innervates the area of skin in the inner shin. So if you actually had a nerve root impingement that L4-5 created a symptom, you got to tell me I'm having altered sensation at my inner shin. So is it possible that you're having an L4-5 nerve root impingement, but it's not the most extreme level. There are impingements from 1% to 99%. So what if it's impinging, but it's not enough to elicit a symptom? Can you have it and not create a symptom? The answer is clearly yes. Studies have shown, I mean, in terms of herniated discs, um, in 1994, a study showed that more than 70% of the population who have no back pain have bulging or herniated discs, 70%. The biggest one is over the age of 60, of the people who have no back pain, 93% are found to have degenerative disc disease. So what you want to start to kind of wrap your head around when you're having to find out about these structural variations is that they're really associated with wear and tear and the aging process. So the identification of it at the time you're having pain doesn't mean it's the cause of your pain. It was there before you had your pain. It'll be there after. So that's the first part I have to try to explain away whatever the, the structural components are. But now I'm going to say, OK, let me see you from the side. And I might find that instead of having a very subtle arch in the lower back, they have an excessive arch. Well, what would create an excessive arch? Would a herniated disc create an excessive arch with stenosis? No, it has nothing to do with that. What would create an excessive arch is shortening of that muscle. If that muscle, that psoas muscle, which is attached to that lumbar spine, pulled excessively on your lower back, it would actually pull the spine into the stomach area and create an excessive arch. So I just established that you have centralized lower back pain and you have an excessive arch. Do those two symptoms go together? Should they be considered? Or should I just ignore the fact that you have an excessive arch? No. 
Keep remembering your body is trying to present a representation of what tissues in distress. So all symptoms are available to you. You have to be able to read the symptoms. So that's the symptom. Now I say, so what brings on your pain? And you say, well, I sit fine, but when I go to stand up, I can't stand up. I have to push through my thighs. And eventually, once I stand up, the pain is terrible. But once I stand up over time, it starts to go away. Would stenosis cause that? Would, would a herniated? No. What would cause that is that muscle is shortened when you sit. And then when you go to stand, you're asking it to elongate suddenly, and it's not prepared to. So it strains and pulls excessively on its attachment to the lower back muscle, uh, to the lower back vertebrae. So that's another symptom. Then I say, okay, let me see you bend down and touch, run your hands down your thighs as far as you can go. And I see how far you can go. And it's very limited. And more importantly, for your natural spine to work properly, you start with a mild arch. As you bend forward, it should actually reverse and you should be able to hunch your lower back. Well, that person is very short and they're still in an arch position at the end point. Again, what would cause that? Oh, those lower back muscles, that, that psoas muscle being shortened, it's not allowing the back to reverse to a hunch. Is that a symptom? Yes. So I just gave you four symptoms that I identified through my evaluation. Pain centralized in the spine, a severe arching, a mechanism of injury that can cause the pain, sitting for a while, then trying to stand up and having difficulty, limited range of motion through bending. What does all of that information give you? A diagnosis. What's the narrative? You are having centralized lower back pain because you have shortened psoas muscles because of the fact that you've done so much in front of you. And as a result, your psoas is strong, but the muscle that opposes it in the back called the gluteus maximus is weak. And as a result of that, it's allowed the muscle to shorten enough to actually go into spasm and pull excessively on its attachment to the vertebrae. To resolve your problem, I am going to strengthen the hamstrings, the posterior thigh muscles, and the gluteus maximus muscle, the butt muscle, which will both create an opposing force to lengthen the psoas muscle, which will correct your posture, will correct your flexibility, will allow you to stand up without pain, and will allow you to have no pain in your back. That's what somebody wants. That's what everybody would want. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, literally anyone with, with pain. I mean, first of all, if people are listening right now and watching and when they listen to watching, they would know that I've been there. I've felt something, you know, now I can see it. I can hear it. I can feel it. And I think there is a solution. And, and again, yes. listen, you're bringing that to science. So there's no way <laughs> with no way anyone can debate about it because Again, you're right. There may be herniated disc and other things, and those have their own ways of dealing with them. But but the pain piece of it is what we're treating here, we're discussing, and that is your muscle strength. And uh, and, and you're right. Again, I, I know for a fact, this, this is my personal experience, when you, you know, really exercise and you work everything correctly, you tend to be stronger, you feel less pain, you know, it's, it's, it's not, you, you really, there's no pain. The minute sure. you stop, the minute you stop, you know, things ache. <laughs> yeah. And the longer you don't do activities, the more pain you do tend to have. And right. this is not with someone with a disease net. Now, of course, people can still question this. Well, I do have pain because of, you know, to your point, ulcers and maybe some liver and other, you know, in, uh, internal organs, right? Now that's different, right? Right. But think about what you just said. Okay. Someone's having pain from an ulcer. 
Would that pain vary if they sit or stand? Nope. Would that, it's going to be continuous. That's right. Right? So you just described one of the key indicators as to whether something's structural, systemic, or muscular. You just described it. If someone's having a kidney stone, trust me, they're going to have that. I don't give a shit if they lay on their side. I don't care if they stand up. I don't care if they take a hot shower. I don't care if they exercise. That's going to be there. That's a red flag for a systemic deficit that needs to be addressed immediately. Doc, you just hit me. I mean, with, with the kidney stone, I've been there. I know how it feels. There is no position that can ease it up. <laughs> you're flying. You're like literally on a frying pan. You're just like moving. I got morphine at the hospital and still didn't do anything. That's how yeah, it's, I, I've heard it's like the worst pain that ever existed. Uh, it, it, you just there's no no description to it. It's just pain that it's like all over. You just cannot yeah. bend down. You do this. But you're right. That's that's consistent. It's got nothing. And you know exactly it's something else. But you're right. When it comes to bones and, and stuff and structure, it's pretty simple. You're almost, I mean, again, I think we've answered some of the the uh, the uh, I guess the myths here. We busted the myths here. <laughs> so so let's go to another one. Let's say that you have a compression fracture of your. OK, let me explain another concept when it comes to how I need people to really understand why you want to really look at symptoms versus what is said on an, on an x-ray or an MRI. Let's go back to, let's take this one. Now we're saying that your pain is two to three inches off your spine, okay? It's two to three inches off your spine. And you get an x-ray or MRI. Let's say you're in your 80s. And they say, oh, we found the compression fracture of L5. You need to get surgery. So I want somebody to explain to me where would you expect pain to be of a fracture in a vertebrae? Would you expect the pain to be at the vertebrae or three inches to the side of the vertebrae? Where would you expect that pain to be if you have a fracture of a vertebrae, a bone? Don't you think the pain would be where the fracture site is? I can say yes, because I've been, I had a fracture and I know okay. I felt exactly where it was. <laughs> right. So you would expect, based on the diagnosis given by the X-ray MRI, right, compression fracture, that you should have pain at the vertebrae. But your pain is three inches to the side. That's a red flag. You can't get surgery for that. How do you know that that, that compression fracture isn't degenerative? That it's actually been festering for 20 years. And the body is basically taking care of it. It's there, but it's not creating any trust. It's not creating any um, uh, any um, impedance of function because it's not eliciting a pain, right? That if if it if the fracture was so um, severe that it was impeding the the vertebrae's ability to support you, trust me, your body's going to elicit pain. But it could be degenerative, and it could have been sitting there for twenty years, but you just strained your lower back muscle. So that's what led you to get the MRI and you just found the compression fracture for the first time. And because it's found for the first time at the time you're having pain, it is asserted to be the cause of your pain. That is called correlative theory. And this is where this is the home run ball. If people don't understand this, then they're never going to understand why this should never be used. They're using correlative theory. It's called junk science. It is the equivalent of saying, if I open my front door, when the sun rises, I can say opening my front door causes the sun to rise. That is correlative theory. Now, I'll show you how it works. 
So they're saying the compression fracture is causing the pain because it was found for the first time at the time. So let me ask you this. Would the MRI find that you have two elbows? I'm doing an MRI and I check you. Do you have two elbows at the time you're having your lower back pain? Yes, you have two elbows. Okay, so I, why can't I say two elbows is the cause of your pain? It's the exact same theoretical basis. It's yeah, delusional. Because it doesn't tell you when that happened. It just it just shows you that it's there. Which That's correct. It's no different than saying you're five foot, you've got blonde hair, you've got brown eyes. It's identifying a structure. And what people what you really want to understand is that the medical establishment, what they attempted to do was to create fear inside fear. If you notice, just so you know, stenosis means narrowing. The word stenosis means narrowing, narrowing of the space. How come they never say to somebody, you just have some narrowing between your vertebrae? Why do they say stenosis? They say stenosis because they want to scare the person because it sounds very scary. I just did a Zoom session with a guy today and he's, I forgot where his pain is, but it wasn't even near his vertebrae. And he was told, oh, you have spondylolisthesis, grade one spondylolisthesis. That's just a shifting of the vertebrae front to back, which can happen to anybody. They tried to scare him into wanting surgeries like he knew me. He knew I wasn't going to buy that. So he's like, OK, thank you. I don't even think that's the cause of it. But that's the attempt. Right. So they're trying to incite fear. And because of that, they're trying to get the person to create an emotional connection to this. And they're trying to say, oh, since it was found and I'm using this big word, and I'm showing you the scary picture that you can't understand. I want you to believe this requires an intervention without question. You need to have something done to this. I found it. I'm showing you the picture. I'm using a scary word. You need to have this fixed. So they're trying to equate structural variations like cancer. They're trying to equate it to cancer. If, if found, it needs to be addressed. Structural variations are like wrinkles on the face. Nobody is being asked to get skin grafts every time they get a wrinkle. Why? Because the general population is smart enough to understand that although there's a defamation of my skin, the integrity of the skin is still intact. What is the purpose of skin? To prevent antigens from entering the body. So even at the wrinkle, the integrity of the skin is still intact. Therefore, its functionality exists even with the defamation of the appearance of it. That is arthritis, herniated disc, stenosis, pinched nerves. It's all the same. They're wrinkles internally. If you begin to understand that, you won't have the fear. You won't be willing to succumb to what they're trying to do to people. And then you'll be more wrapped open to saying, okay, if it's not that, what is it? Oh, that's right. I heard that guy say that he could figure out what it is by looking at my symptoms. Maybe we should actually address my symptoms. Oh, that's right. Who was that who created that? Oh, that's right. That guy, Hippocrates, the father of medicine. <laughs> well, Doc, this, this is amazing. But, but you know, it's, it's, as I'm listening to you, it's almost scary to realize some of the facts that you're describing here. Because one, I mean, imagine how many people could have been misdiagnosed in this case. And potentially underwent, you know, different, undergone different, you know, uh, surgeries or procedures unnecessarily, and that's that's a big issue. And not not even, 
we're not even discussing the cost that it might have had because somebody's got to pay for these procedures. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so the implication here is like, you know, uh, humongous and there is more to this, this, this is beyond just identifying that discussion today. I mean, cause like it opens up a, a kind of worms here, like, you know, like a Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, so to be very clear, I'm telling you, I think 95 to 98% of people are misdiagnosed. I think 95 to 90%, 98% of all surgeries are unnecessary. It's almost well, all. I, listen, almost I, all. I do not disagree with you. I'm, 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 uh, and I've, I've had, I've worked again with, with the insurance and the healthcare, and so I have some good friends, and, and a lot of the, the good ones will tell you, you do not want to go in surgery if you don't have to, you don't, and you, you should avoid at all means because there's risk at, at you know, surgery. Right. Uh, besides the financial, it's just to help. And then right. to your point, misdiagnosis means surgery, and there's, there's adverse reactions to these things anesthesia, you know, different things. Sure. Sometimes, you know, uh, it's funny because I did have a show a couple months ago about a case of someone that was misdiagnosed for almost three years and they're a different treatment only to find out none of that stuff was real. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, I mean, this stuff that we're sharing here today, it's not, you know, this is not sci-fi. This is real. This is truth. People have to be awakened, to be aware. To this is not, uh, you know, a uh, a theory here, like you know, one of those conspiracies. You know, it's really yeah. real. It's facts. You know, you got to do the research, do your homework, find out for yourselves. There are, you know, things that you might not know because you just follow the system. Right. Let, let's be very let Let's be very clear. For people to say there's this one guy, he's obviously a little nutso. You know, he's making this crap up. That There's no way that the entire global medical establishment could be wrong. Let me give you an exact example. George Washington, the father of the American country, was killed by his, by his doctors. This is an irrefutable, completely well-accepted fact. He went out. He went to check out his acres. He comes back after horse riding. He ends up with pneumonia. At the time... The standard procedure for infection was to bleed the individual. You used a razor-like device. You caused them to bleed. They thought that by bleeding the person, the infection would be taken out. They bled him at the neck. He caused an inflammatory response, and over the next 24 to 48 hours, he suffocated to death. Those tools are in the Smithsonian Institute. It is irrefutable that George Washington was killed by his doctors. At the time, the most up-to-date medically, technologically advanced concept was to bleed people and they killed the guy. So don't tell me that medical people don't make mistakes. I'm giving you the theoretical, clinical and scientific evidence. What I am saying, I, I take on all challengers, anybody, anyone wants to, anyone wants to take me on and have a, a death match as to whether the MRI is real or fake, bring it. I'll take anybody on. <laughs> well, that, that's pretty powerful. But that's all, you know, you're, you're convinced, you have your passion, you know your stuff, and you speak based on experience. So, I mean, I, I, I would not 28 years, man. 28 uh, years listen, I've been doing this. I would not challenge you. And again, when you're confident in your expertise, I mean, I, I hear you. And, and I know that fact because in my expertise, you know, I know – I, I will throw the same thing in, in my stuff, right? You know, if you had to bring it on. But I do want to just make a statement. I mean, yeah. ultimately, doctors, you know, in, in the medical world, and I, people make mistakes, period. 
Sure. Where, you know, and there's no, I don't know of any doctor that will tell you like, you're guaranteed you're going to have the best outcome is going to be resolved. Nobody's right. going to do that. Right. There's also, there's also fear for my practice. A lot of people sure. are afraid of that. And that's, that's why we have those lows. Right. Right. So, and again, I, I, I would not blanket everybody because I know there are doctors that are trying to do good and things like that, but you're right in this particular arena that we're discussing with this particular uh, topic, specifically about the, the, the body and the pain and the use of MRI, you're right. MRI is imaging. <laughs> That's what it is. You're taking images of a body and you can show something that you had and, or you just did, you know, to yourself, but either way, it's not going to tell you when it happened. Correct. You, you, they only going to, you tell them, I just had an accident. Well, you got something. So maybe the accident or something that was before the accident just got activated. Right. Uh, and, and again, that's all. So that's, that's really what, what, what MRIs do. Right. But, but all I would say is mm. to anybody is, do you agree that there is a connection between the tissue in distress and the symptoms being experienced? Does everyone agree that whatever you're experiencing is coming from the tissue and stress? You have to say yes, because you know the pain at the chest and the left arm is coming from your heart when you have a heart attack. All the numbness is coming from your brain. You have to agree the connection is there. The tissue in distress solicits specific symptoms. So the best way to understand what tissue it is, is to interpret the symptoms. If that's not part of your diagnostic process, how do you accept the diagnosis? How can you accept that when I just gave you multiple examples where an MRI finding, even if it was found at the time of your symptoms, doesn't match the symptoms that you're having? What that tissue would create in symptoms isn't what you're creating, isn't what you're experiencing. At that point, you have to say, it does sound like there's something not right about the MRI as a diagnostic model. So, why, if I mean, you just have to understand how you just said it, how dangerous it is to get a surgery and end up with a negative outcome and know before you even had the surgery, it was going to be a negative outcome. Do you, do you, you talk about how pain, you don't understand how over 28 years, how emotionally invested I got in this. You get people who come to you and say, I'm going to put a bullet in your head. You, you are sober. You are standing at attention. You are scared knowing that that person's life is suddenly in your hands and you better figure out what the hell it's going to take to make that person better. And I've had this happen to me hundreds of times. And it is what has driven me to this. Nobody in their right mind is going to come out one day and say, I think the entire medical global establishment is wrong and I'm right. You, you have to be insane to do that unless you've been asked to do that, unless your purpose in life was to do this by a higher power and you were given all the tools to show that what you're saying this isn't arbitrary this is an opinion i will go fact by fact i will go person by person and i will be able to show you every single time now there are one and a half to two percent of cases that are structural and i'll be able to know that through your symptoms and i will suggest you get surgery but the other 98 98 and a half percent of cases it's muscular and all the all the presentation of the body is showing you that it's irrefutable. So, Doctor, I want to test. I mean, I'm looking at a picture, the, the, yeah. the thighs and the muscles. But, yeah. I mean, another common uh, element that we hear about pain is sciatica, for example. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that's a big Yes, one. yes. Yeah, and oh, yes. Good. No, that's no, right. just hold that thought. So, that one. And the other part is, 
the the uh, concept here of um, well, actually, I lost that. That so I'll come back to that one. Let's talk about sciatic. <laughs> yeah, let me go through the four mechanisms by which muscle can create pain, and it'll probably answer all your questions. Okay. So I say. Uh, muscle is 98% of cases. People say, well, my pain is in my knee or I have sciatica. I feel like it's neurological. Okay, so here's the way it works. So you have the classic example of a muscle straining and eliciting pain. That happens because other muscles that work in conjunction with that muscle have strained first, causing that muscle to overwork. So muscles strain and elicit pain because other muscles they work with have strained first, causing that muscle to compensate. Ultimately, the point to understand is that the cause of your pain in 99.999% of cases is not where your pain is being experienced. It is somewhere else. So that's the first one. Number two, let's take pain at your kneecap. Very common, pain at the kneecap. Everyone's going to tell you you got arthritis, things like that. That's not what it comes down to. The kneecap runs through a groove at the end of the thigh bone, and it is controlled by the muscle on the top of the thigh called the quadricep muscle. It's connected. The quadricep connects to the kneecap via the quad tendon. So if there is an excessive shortening of the quad, perhaps, well, that can cause an excessive upward force on the kneecap. So the kneecap becomes compressed in the joint. And as a result, as you bend and straighten your knee, it's being compressed. That can cause pain. So you have a muscular cause causing joint rated, a joint located pain, right? So pain in the joint doesn't mean it's from the structure of the joint. It can be that the surfaces of the joint are becoming misaligned because of muscles that attach. That's how you get joint-related pain. Then another thing is people don't know muscles can refer pain. I kind of mentioned it to you because where's that pain at the chest and the left arm coming from? The heart. What's the heart? It's a muscle. So you have the person who lays on their shoulder when they sleep at night. And they end up with numbness in their hands when they wake up. And they're going to be told, get an MRI of your neck. No. The rotator cuff muscle is being overstretched when you lay like that. And it's weakened. And your shoulder gets drawn forward. So it becomes irritated and refers symptoms to the hand. How do you know that's true? Well, as soon as you stand up, the symptom goes away. So I don't understand if it was a herniated disc at the neck. You just made the herniated disc go away when you stood up. I mean, insanity, right? You can see that. So, yeah, awesome. <laughs> mus so muscles refer symptoms. Yeah. Finally, muscles constrain and impinge on nerves. And the nerve can then elicit symptoms. That's sciatica. So there's a muscle right here called the gluteus medius. It's a muscle that helps you provide balance and stability. When that strains, a muscle that sits right next to it that runs through the gluteal area called the piriformis muscle can strain as well. That muscle, when straining, thickens and impinges on the sciatic nerve. So you have a muscular cause creating a neurological symptom. So I don't care if anyone works on the nerve. Until you resolve the weakness of the muscles, the muscles are not going to stop straining and impinging on the nerves. You have to resolve the muscular cause to stop the neurological symptom. Those are the four mechanisms that muscle creates pain. Wow. I listen, I mean, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I know because I'm, I'm listening to all these, you're breaking it down. And, and as you speak, and I, I think everybody who's watching and listening, they'll be like, hmm, they can visualize this whole thing and, and, and see the, the, the correlation between these things, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, actually, I, I, what I was missing earlier was when you mentioned about symptoms and diagnosis and you gave yes. the, the example of the heart and or the, the stroke. Someone, there, there are people that can be always like skeptical and say, well, 
those are like the clear ones. We all know about those because we hear about them. But I'm sure there's other things that can give you a similar thing. It's diagnosis and, and symptoms, and, and you get a diagnosis based on that. Uh, well, also, all, all your organs will elicit specific symptoms. So if you have the, if, let's say that you have the flu, mm. right? You end up having, uh, you'll have upper back pain, but you'll also have difficulty breathing, right? So you get a group of symptoms that are associated with pneumonia, let's say, or the flu or something like that, right? Everything. Okay. Why do you sneeze? Why do you sneeze? <laughs> a sneeze is, a, a, is, no, well, it's an antigen enters the nose and interacts with the mucosal lining in the nose and the mucosal lining identifies it as an antigen and says, I need to rid the body of it. So it tells you to sneeze. So the symptom is the inch itch in your nose. The sneeze is the response to the symptom. The body, you, you have to understand you aren't left in this world to just exist and pray that you're going to know when something's not working. The body has evolutionarily been designed to put in these feedback systems so that you are, if you're conscious of yourself, if you're thinking about yourself, you can become aware of when there's distress of specific symptoms or specific tissues and specific symptoms represent specific tissues. Well, as so simple that, as that, your, your, your stomach is, you know, hurting, you're hungry, you got to eat. There you go. There you go. Same <laughs> thing. So, so, it's true. As, as funny as it sounds, but I mean, you're right. I mean, we have a reaction. You, right. Your bladder is full. You got to go. I mean, it, 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 there's a symptom. Right. You got to go. Right. Time. That's exactly right. Right. So that's not an accident that you went to the bathroom, right? The, the, the canoreceptors in the wall of the bladder have sensed the distension and it's now signaling to your brain. You need to act upon it, right? So the distension, the sense of full is the symptom. It, it, it's the way the body works. So all I'm saying is that when it comes to pain, it's no different. You got, but people think pain is being this just innocuous. It's always the same. It's not always the same. You have to know exactly where it begins and where it ends. You, there's a very fine nuance to pain and you really need to interpret it. And what you have to understand, this is why it gets a little hard for people to understand. Whether you're a neurosurgeon or a neurologist, whether you're an orthopedist, whether you're a rheumatologist, whether you're a chiropractor, whether you're, you are not, educated in the understanding of how to differentiate tissues you are only taught a tissue right the rheumatologist is only educated to know what arthritis is the orthopedist only knows the structure of the joint the neurologist only knows nerve right so they only know specific things so if the tissue in distress is outside that realm how do they identify it they're not educated or trained to so they have to just put you into something they know which is why it leads to misdiagnosis. Well, I mean, someone can, can argue that, that, you know, these doctors, they did have a, a regular standard medical background before they get specialized and they also cooperate with other doctors. But, but again, you're right. If I only see my view and I, I just interpret it from my level of understanding, there's a good chance that that's where I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be limited to it. And you're right. Unless you have to be. Yeah, I mean, be. it's amazing. I mean, you know, you you're thinking sometimes in surgery, you can people there's multiple doctors in different disciplines, and they can all, you know, kind of uh, have a discussion about the case, and maybe they, they, there's a prognosis, a diagnosis, and then there's a, a treatment course that's subscribed. I mean, that's subscribed, that's prescribed. But but you know, so so I mean, again, there's there's a lot more to it. But you're right. I mean, the concept that you're you're sharing is that simply 
people are experts in what they know, but there is there is something beyond their realm, and therefore that's where the issue is. Uh, you know, you, you know, we can't all be surgeons, right? <laughs> right, but but the the point about chronic pain, which makes it so unique, has gastrointestinal disease existed through the history of mankind? Yes. Sure. Has heart disease? Yes. Has bladder disease? Yes. How about chronic pain? No. No. No, it has not existed until the late 1980s and 1990s. Clearly, something distinct has occurred. And the reason for it is because there's now another tissue, which has never been a factor in the medical system, has become the primary cause, the tissue in distress, eliciting pain. Where has that been entered into the curriculums of every other medical specialty? Where has that come? Where where's that? Go look at the curriculum from 1973 for an orthopedic surgeon and look at it today. Tell me it's different. It's not. It's not. It's the well, same. Doctor, doctor, a lot. Well, you're right. I mean, you know, certainly there's there's a lot of shift in a lot of things the way we live, uh, but also I think the way we eat, the way we sleep. Sure, that's a factor. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like. Sure. Uh, back in the days, I mean, now you have all these kind of beds and stuff and your body is so cushioned. <laughs> it's not actually, you know, getting any force, you know, pushing against it as much as it used to. I mean, people right. used to have hard beds and whatever. I mean, I mean, we can go back in centuries and they, they didn't sleep in, in plush. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> you know, sure. and so, so, so there's, there's all that, right. And, and sure. uh, it's, it's amazing, but, but so I wanted to just uh, go back to the method. We yes. talked about your, your, your diagnosis, how you process it, how you and you've given all the examples and how you do and you did a great job with that. So is there anything else in the process that that, that your method, you know, has in addition? Yeah, so now you did all this. What's yeah. the next step? So now that we established which muscles are responsible for the symptoms, now we have to know how to strengthen them. Mm -hmm. And what makes my understanding of how to strength train comes from this understanding that I developed from physics. So every muscle moves one joint in one direction. So you have to set up the resistance exercise for that muscle in a way that the resistance band is going to be moved in the, the, with the joint in the direction that that muscle moves it. So, for instance, if we were going to do knee extension, which is to strengthen the quad, we have to attach the band to something behind us. It has to be put around our ankle. We have to make sure that the rest of my body is fully stable because all I'm trying to do is straighten my knee. That's what the quad does. And then I'm going to apply that resistance and make sure that that's the only muscle that's working because we've identified only three or four muscles that are responsible for the pain. If you try to do this and compensate, you're never isolating the specific muscles. Therefore, they never get stronger. Therefore, you're never able to accomplish your, your activities without pain. So we have to make sure that the person does these exercises in a very exacting way. And you have to know how to choose the right resistance, whether you're using resistance bands or machines or dumbbells, whatever. And so all of this comes into play. And then you have to know how to use the right level of resistance. And that has to do with something called the perceived exertion scale. And that's a part of this whole thing. And then there's also understanding about how long to rest in between every set, um, how many sets to do, how many repetitions, how often to do this, YAS method, you never do your exercise more than three days a week. This idea of working every day is completely false when it comes to making muscles strong. Muscles get stronger when you cause them to adapt to greater and greater resistances. As you're doing that, you're creating micro tears in the muscle. 
And that next 24 to 48 hours after the bout of exercise, the muscle has to heal and make more muscle. So you cannot strengthen it while it's in its healing phase. So all of these are integrated and the sessions that I do are videotaped. That's another important thing to understand. So they're videotaped. So what happens is at the end of that, the next day, they're going to get the copy of the video. And they're going to watch the video several times so that they understand the theoretical basis why they're having the pain. And then when they're going to do the actual exercise, the next successive days, they're going to watch themselves on the video, do it with all the cues I'm giving, and then they're going to hit play. And then they're actually going to do the sets of exercise, watching themselves do the exercises on the video. And that guarantees you a higher level of accuracy in doing it. And then what typically happens is you do that for four weeks, three times a week. And then at the end of that, we do a follow-up session. And I'm going to see how you're progressing. Are your symptoms reducing? Are you improving your function? I'm going to ask you to do the exercise as much without me involved to make sure you're doing it correctly, seeing you're utilizing the resistance. And we just progress this. And usually over two to three months, the person is pain-free and fully functional. And what's important to understand is I've empowered them. They don't need anybody else. No more medical people, no more medications. They just sustain this exercise routine. And as long as they sustain it, they're fully functional and, and, and pain-free. Wow. Well, so there's, there's, there's something you just mentioned, and, and it's uh, pretty common when, and I know you worked out at the gym, you did some, you know, early on yeah. when you were buffing up. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's a big deal when you, you have to do the different muscles in different days so you can rest the ones that you work. And that's pretty common in, in, in fitness and bodybuilding. Right. And, and but so the other thing that you mentioned that I wanted just to, to uh, get the attention to is uh, you're working with people all over and sometimes you, you want resistance and stuff. Now, if someone that may not have equipment, uh, how easy for, for those people to, to do the, the exercise? So usually people can always have access to resistance bands. You can get them on Amazon. Um, if you're in, I don't know how it is in Europe, but in the United States, you just go to your local Target or Walmart and you can get a pack of three resistance bands. That's the beauty of the method is that you don't need dumbbells. You don't need equipment. As long as you have a resistance band, I can strengthen any particular muscle I want. And I've been doing that for years. That's all you need, a chair and a resistance band. That's the total amount of the equipment to use the YAS method. And if there is no resistance band, is there anything like, like a substitution that you can use that may be easily accessible? Uh, well, if someone's available, there's always the opportunity for someone to apply manual therapy. And I could explain how that person tries yeah. to resist you. You always have to go through the one joint going in one direction to isolate that particular muscle. But then you know, depending on what's available, you establish the best mechanism to develop the resistance for it. And you have to have the resistance. Anyone who tells you doing calisthenics is going to make you stronger. Absolutely not. It's impossible. Muscle only adapts to get stronger and make more muscle mass by causing it to adapt to greater and greater resistances. That's a critical component. That's why when you bodybuild, you have to put extra plates in there. How, how much you bench press? Just keep going. That's right. <laughs> that you just keep getting stronger. Well, I mean, again, weight training is is a key for 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 that. Sure. And, and again, gravity resistance and you know all this stuff is 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 revolving around the same concept. Well, thank Absolutely. you. So now the other part is: is there anything else in in the method? I think we've covered the whole. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Yeah, I think they understand it. Yeah. So so then the last part, I mean. Uh, financial access to it i mean is it how how i mean i know this is private it's not through insurance or is it covered by <clears throat> right so uh, so that's a big thing about 
So I, again, I've treated people at the end stage when they've had all the multiple surgeries and they've tried all the nonsensical, um, they, they've tried stem cell and plasma therapy and all the other psychotic stuff, which is actually you have to pay privately. And so I've always wanted to make this economically uh, reasonable for as many people as possible. So I said, what's the best way? What is it that they need from me? Well, you need a diagnosis, you need an evaluation, diagnosis, you have to know which muscles are working, you have to know how to use the, how to work them, and then how to use the right resistance. So certainly that first session is critical. But once I did that, and then I give them the session, the, the video, my opinion is, well, the next four weeks, they kind of can do that on their own, because they're using the video to make sure they're doing it accurately. And then in four weeks, I'm going to do a follow up. So basically, you see me every 13th session that you're exercising and the sessions cost two hundred dollars but if you divide 200 into 13 sessions it's like 18 dollars a session uh, well i mean when you 18 dollars every time you're doing your exercise you you can have a meal these days costs more than that <laughs> right and and yeah. so just you i want people to understand I thought very hard about this. I, I want this accessible to as many people as possible. And I wanted to make it in a way where my, my time is valuable to me in certain aspects, but in certain ways, I don't think it's as valuable. And when you're doing the exercises, as long as you have a general understanding of how to do it, you don't really need my understanding, my education, my background. And that's why I feel like the best way to do this is I see you, you do it for the next 11 times. Then I see you again, you do it for the next. And so it's in my mind, it, this has become the most economical way of doing this for people. Well, doctor, I mean, I think, I think you got a great point there because in, and I know about co-pays and co-insurance and stuff, because <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. I mean, that, those things can be costly for any of the procedures sure. you mentioned. I mean, yeah. some of these procedures, the co-pays are more than, than, than your cost for, you know, two sessions. So, yeah. so I think, I think that, well, that kind of ends that, you know, even if you go for physical therapy, it's going to be a $50 copay three times a week. That's $150. That's 600 a week. Well, there you go. And so, you're no close and you're no closer to getting better. You don't have a proper diagnosis. You're not being shown what to do here. You spend $200 in a month and within three months, typically you're going to be pain-free, fully functional. And you have the full understanding. You are empowered. You know what you have to do. It's not like you're blindly saying, oh, I'm just going to have to go to somebody and do what they tell me that that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking to empower people. Well, they also, get it, control. It's also home. You don't have to go far. Absolutely. Right. Tolls, whatever. I mean, there's there's more to it. I mean, so considerably, I don't you know, the cost is, is really affordable. And yeah. Uh, and, and the other part is at the end of the day, if you're really miserable and pain and you're like, you know, suicidal or or just getting to a point where you can't stand yourself and or you got got to undergo some serious procedures, you know, your health is everything. I always say health is wealth. And so investing in your health is the key to everything. You can't be happy if you don't. invest. Absolutely. In so. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing. Like you know, people you want you you mentioned tennis. It costs money to buy gear. You like that's golf. right. It costs money that's to right. Buy. So, that's right. But you can't do any of this unless you have your body <laughs> functional. So, so I think on the flip side, we have to be aware that you know. And and thank you for sharing. I mean, not everybody is willing to share the cost of their services. Yeah. And you know, thank you for that because it kind of puts things in perspective. Because oh, I can get this. I I can even save towards this and get started. I mean, yeah. you know. Uh, so 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 thank you for that. And now, in terms in terms of scheduling, by the way, you just go on the website, livewithoutpains.com. You schedule the sessions. I don't schedule them. There's a calendly thing on there. So you pick the day and time that works best for you. So 
it's that's another a comfort out of uh, aspect of this. So you you're getting to pick the day and time that works the best for you. So I, listen, I love it. I mean, you're making it as easy as accessible as it can get. I'm trying. So, <laughs> well, listen, that that's great. I mean, all it's telemedicine. It's it's up to date. It's 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 definitely bringing you know a different perspective on how to manage. Well, not even manage to retreat. Yeah, because <laughs> manage is one thing, but training is, is is the ultimate goal, and so 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 that's that's impressive, and 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 thank you. I mean, you have a strong opinion about your 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 method, and I think it does work. I mean, I haven't used it personally, but you know what you've provided us with today is concrete things. It's not just you know theories; it's practical. Absolutely, and and we can all relate to it, and we can all understand it just by listening and watching. Uh, so so we're coming out to the end of the show. I, I, we went over the hour, but but I know, know. It, was, it, it was all good. I can't, like I said, I always say this: I can't stop when we are really dynamic and everything is good because we want the full experience here, and people can get the whole you know picture. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, wow, thank you, doctor. I mean, it was yeah, my great. pleasure. Any any last, you know, uh, words of advice that you want to share? And, uh, you know, we can end the show about that. Yeah, uh, I just want people to understand that. It's obviously a very, very bad place to find yourself when you're in chronic pain and you keep trying all these different methods and nothing's working. And what you're going to be tried to be con uh, convinced of is that you've gotten the right diagnosis. You just haven't gotten the right treatment. That at some point has to wear thin. At some point, you got to say, it may be possible I got the wrong diagnosis. That's why all the treatments haven't worked. And don't give up. Don't give up on the idea that you can't have your pain ended. My, my premise has always been in life. For every question, there is an answer. Every question has an answer. You just got to find the right person who can answer it. And hopefully I presented that today and there could be some trust and you'll give this a chance. And all I want is for any person who's in pain to have the ability to be out of pain. And if I could be a factor in that, I believe that's what I was chosen to do. And it is my honor. And I believe it is a gift that I've been given and a gift that I like to give to others. So please take that into consideration. Well, no, thank you. And I think that's important because at the end of the day, our platform is to share resources and that can help people. And you you just hit on a note there where you listen, you try different things. There's always another way. Try it. I mean, that, that, what's the least that's going to happen is that Absolutely. you at least tried it and you know you can either thumbs up or thumbs down. But at the end of the day, you would have, you know, tried something different. Absolutely. If all the others didn't work. Well, keep going. Yeah, keep going. And and keep when going. you get to that and to each his own, right? I mean, some I know it works, but like there are people that have found, you know, holistic approaches and mm -hmm. meditation, other things. And, you know, there is you, your system, your method, and it's solid. It's 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 effective and it's been in, in, in place. So, uh, again, same mes me message here. Same mission is that we want people to to be better and have resources. And yes, it's it's a it's a legacy that we want to keep, you know, and give to people and and, and just access. So uh, information is free. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? and, and yes, the description of the, the show uh, in the sh in the show description, you will have the, the website and the link so people Good. can actually search and, and certainly. Uh, now, is there a, a, cons a consultation? uh prior to, to the session or they just have to no the first session is, is the consultation and treatment okay good good so that's the, the the intent is that at by the end of that first session you feel substantially better i will prove 
that the system is correct and that I have properly diagnosed you. At the end of your first session, you will have a substantial reduction in symptom. I won't stop until that happens. I hate to say it, but it's true. Well, 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 so so I have to say, not everybody is is gives a warranty and a guarantee, and you're you almost are sticking, you know, standing behind your seal here, and that's actually important. I think I think in terms of just confidence, you know, we all can feel that that you're confident and you're 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 definitely uh, sure about the results, and I think that's because not a lot of people can tell you, oh, we're gonna get you better. We gotta try. <laughs> this is the real deal, man. All this right, is the dude. real deal. I, I put my that. stamp on this. It's real. That's right. Well, listen, we will take your word for it. We will take your <laughs> results. We will take your results for it because I know they're documented. And and with that, you know, I want to thank you for for a great time and a great show. And certainly, folks, thank you for being with us, listening, watching, and uh, you know, hope you you will if you have a need for the services, seek the services and and see you know your your health better. That's all I have to say. Um, that being said, thank you for watching. Hurricane H here. We'll talk at the next show. Next guest, next topic. Bye-bye.